This podcast was recorded on Saturday, May 27th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the next leader of the Conservative Party of Canada with 51% of the vote. The prochain chef, Andrew Scheer. The race to replace Stephen Harper is finally over. Andrew Scheer is the new Conservative Party leader. I know that I have very big shoes to fill, Rana. Well, not physically very big, but very stylish. It was quite the nail-biter. Scheer trailed in second place behind Maxime Bernier on every ballot, until Ontario MP Aaron O'Toole dropped from the ballot and Scheer managed to leapfrog over Bernier with 50.95% of the votes, a margin of less than 2%. Just two years ago, Scheer was the Speaker of the House of Commons. Now he'll be leading the charge against the Liberals in Parliament. Trudeau's Liberals are so focused on photo ops and selfies that they don't care if their policies hurt and not help the middle class. Sunny ways don't pay the bills. And given what's gone on in Ottawa, I think that forecast for sunny ways was like so many other weather forecasts that we've seen. But I guess it's always sunny in the Caribbean. We all know what it looks like when Conservatives are divided. We will not let that happen again. We win when we are united. In this episode, we're diving straight into what Shear's victory means for the future of the party. Shear's campaign manager, Hamish Marshall, will join us along with HuffPost senior politics editor, Brian Maloney, and former conservative strategist, Jenny Byrne. I'm Althea Raj, and you're listening to Follow Up, a HuffPost Canada politics podcast. Andrew Shearer's leader, I don't know if he'd have enough strength across the country to win at the federal level and really challenge Trudeau. You know, Andrew Shearer just is more in line with my values and my belief system, and uh, so that's why I like him. I'm joined on the floor of the convention hall, right, well, it's been about uh, 15 minutes since Andrew Shearer walked off the stage and the confetti cannons... uh, did their job and the balloons came down from the sky and uh, joining me is Hamish Marshall who is the campaign manager for Andrew Shearer's campaign. Hi. Congratulations Hamish. Thank you very much. Ryan Maloney, HuffPost Canada's senior political editor as usual and Jenny Burns who is Stephen Harper's uh, former deputy chief of staff and the campaign manager for the last election. Hello. Hi Jenny. So maybe I'll ask Hamish to walk us through, you obviously were backstage, Walk us through what it was like. The first ballot results came came out. Right. It was a lot uh, narrower than I think, well, obviously than Mr. Bernier, Maxime Bernier expected. Uh, he walked into the convention hall uh, basically th- thinking that he was going to win. He gave a speech last night 
uh, this is on Friday night, that was off the cuff and basically told us all to wait until the real speech tonight. Of course, he didn't have a chance to give that speech. So when those, when those early votes came in, uh, what did they tell you? Well, it was right in the sweet spot where we didn't know what was going to happen. We knew that if Max was ahead by about four or five points, we would almost certainly catch him and win, and we have a very, very good chance of winning. If Max was ahead by 10 points, we almost certainly wouldn't be able to catch him. So in the first ballot, Andrew was behind Max by seven points. So it was right in that spot where we thought this is going to be extraordinarily close. And that's ultimately what happened in, uh, you know, with a 51-49 uh, victory. Where do you think you picked up support? Uh, well, I mean, we, our, our, our overall vote, did, we did very well in a variety of areas. Saskatchewan, we did well in, we did extremely well in Quebec. Um, uh, there's a whole bunch of ridings in Quebec where we got 60, 70, in some cases 80 points by the final, uh, the final ballot. And uh, so that was uh, unexpected. I think a lot of people didn't see that coming. Um, but our, our voter turnout for our identified supporters in Quebec was north of 80%. We had an extremely effective organization there and it made a massive difference. I don't think most people would have thought that. I think it's a surprise for a lot of people. But, um, you know, Andrew is someone who attracts people to him. And uh, when we got four uh, caucus members from Quebec on board in January, that was a quantum shift for our campaign. And that really, we really started moving in Quebec. And if you look at the riding of, say, one of those caucus members like Alan Reyes, I think by the final ballot, uh, you'll have to double check, um, we actually did better in Alan Reyes's riding than we did in Andrew's own riding in Regina. <laughs> I think it was about 88%. So. So I just, for uh, the listener, I want to walk through the first ballot. So basically, um, when we, the first time uh, the tally was announced, Maxime Bernier had 28.89% of support. Andrew Scheer was at 21.82. Aaron O'Toole was at 10.65. Brad Truss was at 8%, 8.35. Michael Chong, 7.55. Pierre Lemieux at 7.38. And Kelly Leach at 7. Um, Jenny, when you saw the first results come out, did you think this was going to be as tight as it ended up being? No, well, I think that, that what was actually, it was one of those surprising but not shocking things. I, having spoken with people on campaigns, having seen the polls, I think that uh, in seeing the first numbers, it was evident that everything that you were hearing publicly or spin was Max was down by at least three or four percent percentage lower than what actually was out there. So you would hear anywhere from 31 to 35 percent. I think everyone else else was kind of where you were expecting, kind of at Brad Trost, Pierre Lemieux a bit higher. So I think that's that, that the fact that he was under the 30% threshold was then what it was like when the first ballot numbers came, it was kind of like, okay, well, this now is actually a race. This is not actually going to be a coronation of Maxime Bernier. The other surprise, Ryan, was how well the social conservative candidates did, Pierre Lemieux and Brad Trost, that um, in some ways, I think, you know, Pierre Lemieux avoided talking to the media, so they didn't actually want to have their message out there about how many members that they had signed up and their influence. But did that surprise you as well? Well, I mean, we had heard that uh, Pierre Lemieux was, uh, was we, we had thought that Pierre Lemieux could be in the top five. That's what we were hearing last night. I thought he gave a very effective speech and was getting a, a good reception. I was surprised uh, that Mr. Trost ended up uh, being as high as he was off the first ballot. 
uh, especially because I, I, I thought that Lemieux was going to be higher, um, and he ended up uh, Trost actually ended up in the in the in the final four. So clearly, a statement was was made there. Um, respect was shown to source of conservatives in this race. Trost uh, and Lemieux were clear about that, um, and we saw it last night in the reactions to the speeches. We saw the the applause lines, uh, making sure that uh, social conservatives made their case that they're not to be forgotten that they're part of the coalition as well. So um, it's, it's quite interesting. Brad Trost was telling me, Hamish, that people in Saskatchewan were going door knocking and apparently this is your volunteer is telling people, well, Andrew is 99% like Brad Trost, but 1% electable. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, uh, but uh, I didn't. I don't think we were doing too much door to door, to be fair. but. Um, uh, we certainly find, uh, you know, I think Andrew is, is, is very electable and uh, there was an abacus poll a few weeks ago that uh, they, they asked people, they looked at which candidates were going to pick up the most votes from the Liberals and Andrew uh, was a net uh, plus five, uh, which was higher than any of the other candidates. Uh, so that's very much what we've always believed and I think that, the, that abacus poll shows we're on the right track. Jenny, when the votes, so they were announced to us, uh, the first round, then round two, three, four, five, six, seven, then eight, nine, ten, and then drip, drip, drip. But we really saw momentum happen when two things happened. When Brad Trost left the race and his votes were dispersed or his ballots died, as apparently someone who was in the room, as one of the scrutineers told me, that a lot of the social conservative ballots, the Pierre Lemire and the Brad Trost, they didn't actually have anybody else. Yes. So the weighted was re yes. had reshifted. Um, and then when, obviously, Aaron O'Toole left, what were the things that you took away from Trost leaving and then Aaron O'Toole finally leaving? Who was third? Well, I think actually what it goes down to is it, it shows kind of where, where the party is at, where the membership is actually supportive. This is still very much the party of Stephen Harper. And, and Andrew, probably more than any of the candidates, campaigned on the policies of Stephen Harper. I think there has been a... Uh, and this happens after elections, as Hamish knows, we've gone through these. There is there is a, a, a knee-jerk reaction to actually kind of run away from everything that that a previous leader or party might have done. And and Andrew was actually, I think that, uh, and I've said this before, he is the only one I think of the 14 or 13 candidates that actually did not in what like there was not at least a fraction that he ran away from the Stephen Harper legacy he campaigned against a carbon tax he campaigned uh, in terms of you know you can say supply management which the price of milk became a galvanizing issue in this leadership race uh, for us and so I think that what it showed was whether the social conservatives that supported Brad Trost didn't vote for anyone and it was more attrition than anything else they didn't vote for for Max, and I think that you know, Aaron O'Toole supporters probably, and and you know, people like Hamish and I are going to be looking through the results of the ridings more. But what I think it comes down to is that when members in our party sat down and thought, "What do we want?" They thought, "We want a little more Stephen Harper, um, and not that is what we want to lead us into the to the to the last election to the next election." So, um, you know, that that is I think. The, the number one takeaway and and you know as someone who worked for Stephen Harper for 12 years I have zero problem with that. <laughs> Ryan is not oh go ahead. We uh, the, our operating assumption when I wrote the campaign plan was that there is what I called the there's a, a silent uh, Harperite majority within the party and that the people who are most disappointed in the election results or maybe disappointed in aspects of the government got a lot of um, made a lot of news complained about a lot of things but that your average long-term conservative member 
was somebody who was pretty happy with how things had gone for the decade we were in power and wanted a leader that you know, at least respected that and was compatible with that in some way. And that was something that we identified early and that was a, a core part of our campaign from the beginning. I noticed in the room today when he said, I want to thank Stephen Harper, that was the loudest moment in his speech. The crowd erupted. Well, and, and to Hamish's point, you know, the, the Conservative Party got 32% of the vote in the last election. So it's not like, you know, it's 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 it, it was not like, you know, 1993. Yeah, it was, you know, we had 99 seats. We're still extremely strong. Um, Andrew's going to, is taking over a party that has a lot of money in the bank and a strong organization and, you know, a, a base of 32% of the vote from the last election. Well, I was just going to say, but obviously in order for them to win, they need to grow. And the, 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 the sh being shut out of Toronto, being shut out of Montreal, being shut out of Vancouver, um, People like Michael Chong had suggested you need to have a more robust environmental policy to to appeal to those people. And then you have the the, the knowledge that millennials are going to be the biggest voting block in 2019. So I'm curious what you think Andrew Shear's pitch to those types of voters. Is well, going I think Andrew is going to focus um, on the uh, as opposed to uh, talking more about conservative ideology bullet points. He's going to be focusing on the results of that and that what that means in people's lives. And the thing about millennials, the thing about any generation is you know if you talk to people about the baby boomers in the 70s it was all about how incredibly left-wing they were but they all turned around and voted for Reagan and states and, and Mulroney in this country and Harper later and uh, people tend to get more conservative as they get older when they get a mortgage they have some kids their their priorities often change uh, and so Andrew's emphasis can be talking about the results that our ideas can deliver uh, in their lives um, as opposed to uh, sort of ideological touch points. And I think that's going to be uh, uh, very effective. Uh, and then, you know, Andrew did an awful lot of, uh, of ethnic outreach, uh, large chunks of, of uh, people who had been supportive of Jason, especially in the GTA. Jason Kenny in GTA came on board with our campaign. And uh, that's something that's very, very important. And I think anybody who uh, tries to win uh, the GTA without uh, engaging in, in significant ethnic outreach is, is a fool. So we're... Uh, we're, uh, we're going to be continue doing that, and uh, the response has been good thus far. A lot of focus was on these new members, because the party talked about, hey, you know, we have 250,000 new members, but did the people who decide who the winner was, are those the new members, or is this the, the core the core Tory members who've been there the whole time? So uh, long-standing members uh, voted at a significantly higher rate than, uh, than new members. That's not to say new members, it wasn't, you know, double or anything like that, it was, but it was, it was noticeably higher. Um, uh, and even O'Leary voters, we were finding, we were tracking O'Leary voters were coming out at 30%. Um, so a lot of people did, uh, did come out. Um, but, you know, I think we also believed that long-term members were more likely to mark more choices on their ballot. If you bought a membership for any candidate, whether it was Kevin O'Leary or Chris Alexander or whomever, you're most likely, and that's your really only involvement in politics, you're probably just going to mark one or maybe two. You're probably not going to mark seven or eight. But you're someone who's been in the trenches with the party for 10 years or someone who's put out lawn signs. You're more likely to have a views on this and have more of an investment in the party. And say, well, I, actually, my seventh choice does matter. That is somebody I want to think about, and the order matters. So that was something we always thought about. And we knew from everything we see that Andrew, amongst voters that were not committed, who are long-term members of the party, uh, Andrew uh, was ahead of Max. Uh, by the end with that group and we knew that they would be more likely to be deeper ballot voters and that I think played out tonight. Anything surprised you from just crunching these numbers? 
Um, it, nothing was shocking to me. It was surprising simply because, you know, you, you've got the, the spin from all the campaigns. And uh, I think that some of the quiet campaigns that kind of uh, uh, plugged along uh, into the, you know, the, the Brad Trost and the Pierre Lemieux, as opposed to, you know, uh, people were always saying that Elisa Raitt was going to end up being higher up on the ballot. So I think, uh, although I'm not saying it was a huge surprise, I think that, that what the surprise was, it was kind of the spin versus the work, which you always kind of see in, in politics. It's kind of the the, 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 you know, the, the steady wheel gets the grease or whatever the, the saying is. So I think that it was, it, it kind of was a lesson to anyone that it's it's still for conservatives. It's it's kind of substance over splash. And I think that it's hard work and substance and policy. And that is what is going to actually carry us through to 2019 and make us competitive for the next election. Did Maxime Bernier believe his own spin? I think that... Uh, I think that probably out of all the campaigns, Maxis was probably the most surprised tonight. I can't speak for, for Andrews, but I think that um, there was a feeling, and even you know, being here uh, at my first political convention as accredited media, um, uh, there was a sense almost through everyone that it was almost a foregone conclusion. You saw it in in the you know the back rooms, in the hospitality suites, in the in, in the media profiles that were coming out. So I think that it's kind of. It, it is a it, it, like for if I if I if I had been Max and Bernier's campaign manager, I would have wanted this campaign to be over in January, like it, or, or as soon as it kind of became evident. As soon as O'Leary dropped out of the race, I was kind of I'd be sitting and counting the days until that election is was over. And so, um, did his overconfidence hurt him? I mean, we saw not just in the speech yesterday, but there was that story about one of his staffers suggesting that, oh, well, I don't know if we would feel comfortable hiring uh, Andrew Shear staffers. And today there was a fundraising letter that came out saying, I'm going to be carrying a list of all the people who were with me since the beginning. And do you want to put your name on that list? I, listen, I don't think it probably actually did matter. I think the bulk, the bulk of the memberships have been, or the, the, the votes have been in for a while. So I think that... Um, whether people liked or were uncomfortable with anything that's come out in the last few days, I think it, it probably affected very little. I think that, that the votes were probably already in. Um, and uh, uh, this, this just added to kind of the drama of a convention and it added to the regular back and forth and, and how, you know, uh, kind of the awful and stressful last few days of a campaign are. I was very happy to be... Uh, watching friends from afar running around. So I don't think it actually pl played into the final results. Do, do you think that the, the O'Leary endorsement could have had an opposite effect uh, in terms of his support? Do you think it actually might have hurt him in any way in this process, like coalescing around uh, Mr. Shear as the alternative or? I, I, think, I think it helped him, t I think it helped him in, I think it, it was a net benefit for Bernier. But it helped in other ways. He also it also did bleed some, not in reaction to a dislike of O'Leary, but I was talking to people today who said, oh, I was always a Max supporter because I thought he was the only choice to beat O'Leary. But once I realized that O'Leary wasn't the, wasn't on, wasn't gonna, I didn't have a chance of winning, I suddenly reevaluated my options. And I ended up, you know, I think they said they voted us when I won and no tool too, right? They just, they looked at things differently. Um, you know, our tracking, and if you look at the Main Street poll, you can see it right into before O'Leary dropped out, Max had actually dropped into third place. And so this gave him a huge boost. He led on first ballot, and I think a lot of that was due to O'Leary. 
you know, by our tracking, over 10,000 uh, O'Leary me membership sales voted, and the majority of those would have been for uh, for Bernier. So there's no question. I think it was a, a positive for his campaign. I, I agree. It was definitely a benefit. Well, Andrew told me uh, on Monday that he had wished that some candidates would have dropped out to give him that sense of momentum because his message was, I'm the consensus builder. I'm the one who can unite the party at a time where people were talking about Maxime Bernier's position on supply management, might rip the caucus apart, and what would that mean coming into the policy convention next year in Halifax. Um, and we discussed that. We discussed the fact that, you know, why wasn't anybody dropping out? But in the end, it didn't seem to hurt him because people in endorsed on the ballot. I think what ended up hap what would end up happening is that somebody dropping out um, too early actually would have disengaged a good chunk of their voters. And I think what this did is it kept people, uh, sort of unexpectedly, it kept voters interested and involved. That if you'd signed up for, um, you know, Chris Alexander or Lisa Raitt and they dropped out, especially whether they endorsed someone or not, your turnout would be much, much lower. And But we ended up getting decent turnout from some of those candidates who didn't perform as well, and that, I think, ended up contributing to the victory. Jacques Gould, who was uh, one of Maxime's primary organizers in Quebec, um, he suggested that this was a vote against supply management, that Mr. Bernier lost this race because he had taken out a position uh, in opposition to supply management, that this had suddenly become the one issue that his campaign was constantly talking about, and that people who live in rural areas and um, dairy farmers, especially in Quebec and in Ontario, that uh, they voted for Andrew Scheer because they wanted to stop Max. Do you agree uh, you with know, that well, assessment? I, I think, um, sort of implausibly, the price of milk, as Jenny said, became a central issue in this uh, in this campaign, and which price it actually was, and all everybody had different competing number sets and everything out there. Um, but uh, so I think that was a motivating issue for people who had a direct stake in that, and uh, you know a lot of dairy farmers certainly uh, got involved in our campaign in rural Quebec, and we were happy to have them. And but Andrew's message really is that everybody who wants to be a member of this party, uh, no matter what the reason they got into, is welcome, and we we're working together. We can beat Trudeau in 2019. But do you think that two percent difference between Andrew Scheer and Max Bernier on the last ballot was due to supply management? I would say we certainly won because of our performance in Quebec. And supply management was a, was a part of that, for sure. I think with supply management, I think that the majority of Canadians actually don't really understand what it is, but they like farmers. And so, especially in rural areas, you have people that don't understand what supply management is, but they like farmers. It's kind of the same as um, Canadians who don't actually have any mem uh, family or friends serving in the Canadian Armed Forces or have veterans in their families, but they really like the military. So when they hear that something uh, is 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 upsetting the military or veterans they get upset about it so I think that when you have a group of farmers if you're living in a rural area and you might not really understand what the issue is you just know that the farmer down the road is really upset about it so I think that definitely would have actually played uh, an issue and if you look at Bernier's riding and and I've looked at very few riding results yet because we've he lost his writing. Yeah, um, that 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 basically it would come down to. I, I know that when the uh, 
membership list came out, and Hamish would know this better than me, but my understanding was he had the highest increased percentage of any riding in the country at 1,200%, meaning that, and, and from anything that I spoke to his campaign about, they didn't know where these memberships came from. So my guess is this was actually the Boast being one of the highest concentrated, you know, dairy, dairy, dairy sector farms, um, that these were the dairy farmers that were actually, like, getting memberships and signing up their it was, family. They were and, not shy about and, it. And, and voting. <laughs> Um, Andrew's message, and it's like actually written out on the screen right now, it says United, Union. It was a very gracious speech. He invited all the candidates on stage. Ryan, you and I were prepping stories, thinking about what will this mean for caucus on Monday if Maxime Bernier wins. Now that it's not Maxime Bernier, what can we expect from an Andrew Scheer caucus meeting on Monday morning? (laughs) Well, it's funny. All those things seem to have floated away. The the, the notion that they were going to have problems with division. Um, Andrew Shear, as has been said, is the most Harper-like. He seems, well, seemingly uh, to satisfy all the different parts of the coalition. Um, and it seems like it'll be just fine. I mean, he's going to be starting off in, in question period. Uh, he'll have the front bench back. And... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just seems as though all the division issues that were that we were thinking about with Bernier and how do you square that and how do these folks who are uh, speaking out about, about protecting supply management and whatnot uh, with Bernier, how do they then uh, rally around him? And this seems like this, it's being called the safer choice, obviously. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but a safe choice on that issue. I want to finish up by asking you guys, basically... What is the message coming out of the convention? Jenny, you've already kind of touched on it. You're thinking this is people who aren't upset with Stephen Harper's government voted to not change Stephen Harper's government. Is that what we should all be taking? Are there other messages also at play here? I actually think it goes to, to reiterate, I think it goes back to conservatives today showed that we had 13 candidates in the race. We had 260,000 members. We had, um, you know, over half of them vote. I, I don't know what the final numbers were. It's 160,000 as of Friday when, you know, before today's voting happened, that we are actually a very strong and ready to govern party and that the the results from the last election, people shouldn't read t- t- like too much into them. There are certain factors that I've, I've said before, as in the performance of the NDP and what have you. And I think that in, in terms of going forward, I think the message that anyone should take out of this is that, you know, there is a reason why we were a very strong governing party for for uh, close to ten years, and you know, 2019 is is uh, is up for grabs. I agree completely. The message I think is is that they didn't need a big shift away from the way things were in order to win again. That's the bet here. That's the the, the decision. Maxime Bernier was proposing a big shift in a lot of ways. Michael Chong was proposing a big shift in a lot of ways. Both were saying that that was needed. Um, they have decided uh, to to go with someone who, who who seems a lot like the way things were, uh, but ch- a cheerful and younger version, perhaps. Hamish, I'm going to ask you a different question. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect you're going to tell me whether or not you believe it, that 2019 is a possibility, but why is it a possibility? Uh, 2019 is absolutely winnable, um, and I think it's winnable for a couple of reasons. One is, despite the fact uh, we lost last election. We only got 200,000 less votes than we did in 2011. Um, the Liberal majority depends on extremely high turnout, people who were fed up with us after a decade in power. Um, and it's very, very difficult for any government uh, being re-elected to uh, get that kind of level of turnout again. So we start off in an actually quite a competitive situation. The party's in good shape. 
you know, often with, without a permanent leader, with Trudeau getting the coverage he's been covering, I would expect our party to have been at 25, 26% in the polls. We're consistently somewhere in the low 30s. It varies a bit, but we're, we're very much in, in fighting shape. Um, and what we're also seeing is that there's the, there's a big problem with the Trudeau Liberals, is that they simply are not delivering on what they promised. You know, a story I tell a lot is a, a, progressive, a very progressive friend of mine, an NDP voting uh, uh, university professor, posted on her Facebook the day that Trudeau won. She said, like, I'm so excited, a progressive government in Canada, but I always remember the Liberals are the party that lie about everything. And now, you know, this last budget, I think, was a real, uh, uh, a real, uh, um, blow to uh, to middle-class Canadians getting rid of things like the transit tax credit is bizarre uh, and bizarrely out of step with the Liberals brand uh, this is a government that is I think failing to live up to, to expectations uh, and if we do a job right the 2019 election is going to be extremely competitive I lied it wasn't my last question Andrew Shear, because he's been speaker Basically, he's been an MP since 2004. He was 25 years old. He became the youngest speaker in 2015. He was 32. But he was on that sort of speaker track. He was on the House of Commons. I want to be assistant deputy speaker. I think it's actually called chair of the committee of the whole. But maybe I'll get some tweets about that. Deputy speaker, speaker. He doesn't have any baggage. Like, I was thinking, what will the liberal attacks be on Andrew Scheer? What will they be? Well, I think to go back to what we've been talking about, I think that they will try to go down the same attacks as they've, they've done on Stephen Harper and the Conservative Party. So we'll see where they go with that. I think they'll, uh, we've already seen stuff out. Uh, the, the results hadn't even been released. And I saw on Twitter that it's 20 minutes later, there was, there was a fundraising uh, uh, email out. So I think that they will go through the same attacks that, that liberals have been doing on conservatives for years and years and years. And... But at the end of the day, Andrew's been elected, I think, five elections now. The first election, no one ever expected him to win. He was nominated in Regina Capel to run against Lord Nystrom, who was like a very well, like very senior uh, serving uh, MP for the NDP. And I think the riding association had $800 in the bank and got it, he got elected. So I think that at the end of the day, it will end up being that kind of background for him. And if the liberals want to go on the same old attack, then... We, we, I think we as a party will actually be ready for it. The one thing that struck me, nobody is talking about the PC reform divisions. Like it's, it seems like early on when we talked about this leadership race, people were suggesting, well, will this be uh, a return to the different factions within the party? Nobody has mentioned that at we, all. We, we, were, we have been extremely lucky as a party since 2004 when we since March of 2004 when we became a party, there have been very, very, and I come from the Reform Alliance side, um, there have been no incidents where there's it's ever come down to a Reform slash Alliance uh, PC uh vibe within our party it's it was it was a almost seamless transaction that for, for that Stephen Harper and Peter McKay and senior conservatives like Marjorie LeBreton just basically led the way and 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 people followed you know and, and I think Andrew really is a unifier I looked at the, the caucus members that supported him and you've got you know Andrew's from the reform background um, but then you've got people like Matt Jenneru who was an MLA in um, 
in uh, Alison Redford's government, or uh, John Barlow, who ran ran for the PCs against Danielle Danielle Smith in, in the 2012 uh, provincial election in Alberta, um, and you know Senator uh, Batters, who's a very proud former progressive conservative, so or, or Nor Senator Norm Doyle, who was a, a longtime PC MP, so he did a really good job, really based around his personality and people getting to know Andrew, uh, of bringing people from all those different backgrounds, and you couldn't point to any. I don't think, frankly, you could point to any one campaign and say that's the PC campaign and that's the reform campaign. And I think that's wonderful for the health of the party. And it's been a long time. I mean, you know, it's the division was, you know, it's getting on 15 years, and and I think that's fading out of a lot of people's memory and a lot of people's experience in politics. And uh, you know, we really are truly a united party tonight, and we're ready to take on Trudeau in 2019. Okay, we'll leave it there. Hey, Ms. Marshall, uh, Andrew Shear is campaign manager. Maybe we'll have a different title come tomorrow. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> He's shaking his head. Uh, Ryan Maloney, our senior political editor, thank you very much. And Jenny Byrne, thank you very much, as Thanks always. Thanks for having me. Harper's former deputy chief of staff. So that's it from the floor of the Conservative Party Convention. We'll probably see you here in what? I don't know. He's only 38. It could be a really long time until we have another leadership race. Well, well, the next, 30 years at most. The next, the next convention we'll be at will be in Halifax of, I think, April or May of next year. And that will be that will be very exciting in the kind of year kickoff to the election. That's true. But that is a policy convention, not yes. a leadership convention. Here he comes. There he goes. Oh, and that is Andrew Shear arriving in the floor. So we will say goodbye. Thanks very much. That's our show from the Toronto Congress Centre. Monday, Andrew Scheer will meet his new Conservative caucus and face off in question period for the first time. To learn more about the new leader and his policies, we'll bring you a feature interview I did with Scheer during the leadership campaign. Watch for that in your podcast feed. In the meantime, subscribe to our show on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please give us a good review. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Please message me or tweet me at Althea Raj. It takes a nerdy village to put the show together. A big thanks goes out to our amazing show producer, Zian Lum, our intrepid technical producer, Stephanie Warner, and our executive producer, Andre Lau. I'm Althea Raj. See you soon. Mm -hmm.